Welcome back to the Health Longevity Secret Show, and I'm Dr. Robert Lufkin. Not that long ago, tobacco was one of the leading causes of death. Since then, big tobacco has pivoted to another set of deadly products that have now replaced tobacco and can even be sold to children. Today, we are going to hear all about this and the universal addiction that we all face. Joan Iflin, PhD, is the CEO of Food Addiction Training and the author of Processed Food Addiction, Foundations, Assessment, and Recovery First. She received her MBA from Stanford University and a PhD in Interdisciplinary Studies with a specialization in Addictive Nutrition from the Union Institute and University. She was the first chair of the Food Addiction Council for the American College of Nutrition. She currently runs an online Approaches to Recovery program, Addiction Reset Community, as well as food addiction, food addiction education. Joan is also a food addict in recovery. Before we start the episode, if you like what you hear, please consider supporting the work we do as well as joining us on your personal health longevity journey. You can do both by becoming a member of our community. The benefits include a private messaging area, live QA sessions, weekly premiere videos, product discounts, free giveaways, and much more. You can join for as little as $1 per month, and the first month is free. See the link in the show notes for more information. Now, please enjoy this interview with Dr. Joan Ifland. Joan, welcome to the Health Longevity Secret Show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's truly a pleasure to have you on your sh- on the show, and I can't wait to get into uh, many of the topics covered in your in your book, Processed Food Addiction, which uh, is actually one of my favorites. Uh, Thank you. But before we do that, let's just take a moment, if you don't mind, and tell us a little bit about how you came to be interested in in this fascinating area. Well, um, it kind of started 25 years ago. I was a yo-yo dieter and I got to that place where I'd regained the weight once again. I was, um, I, my career had been as a corporate finance person. I have an MBA from Stanford and I studied finance and that's what I should have gone back to. My little girls were 11 and 12 years old but I was too sick from allergies and fatigue and brain fog to go back to work. And, um, and then I was doing this yo-yo dieting and I had a miserable personality. (laughs) I was a rager and constantly irritable and nothing worked and nothing was good enough. And everybody else was wrong all the time. Pretty miserable person to be around. And I was in a 12 step group for that, for codependency. And another person in the group heard it. She heard the sugar driving my behavior. So very respectfully, a couple of times that year, she kind of said, why don't you try food addicts in recovery? And I'm like, I was in a thin phase. And like, why do you think that would help? She didn't tell me that it would the impact on the personality. And I'm like, but by the end of the year, I'd regained the weight. So off I went, got the book, didn't read the book, went right to the food plan. 
And all these miraculous things started happening. I was 44 years old. And uh, day four of giving up just sugars and flowers, uh, I stopped craving. My earliest childhood memory is of manipulating an adult into giving me an ice cream. And that is my earliest memory. So I had cravings my entire life. I didn't know you couldn't have cravings. I didn't know that it was possible not to think about food all the time. But it stopped January 4th. 1996. And the brain fog lifted that day. And I didn't know that that brain fog had crept in over those years, but I sure did notice when it was gone. And the fatigue lifted. Like I was waking up tired. I thought, oh, this must just be what happens when you have children. I was never not tired. And it stopped. And it was four days. And then within a week, the allergies. Like that's what it kept me from going back to work. It's just my eyes and my nose were streaming all the time. And the, the medications gave me a headache, so I couldn't use them. And then a lifelong sinus infection cleared up. And But it was in the third week that I adopted this as a career. I was, I can tell you where I was standing, in my kitchen. And I realized I hadn't yelled at anybody in three weeks Three weeks, I hadn't yelled at anybody, screamed at anybody, raged at anybody. And I thought, oh, 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 that has got to have something to do with the food. Because that was the why was the 12 step group. I was mad all the time. I did 10 years of personal therapy. Yeah, I did have a rotten childhood with two very, very angry, volatile, sometimes violent parents. And I didn't want to be that person for my kids, but there I was occasionally just flying off the handle. So I did go to the support group and I did ask, do people become less irritable on this food plan in 20 heads? Oh yeah, that's pretty normal. Well, dang, why doesn't everybody know this? So I started immediately. My little girls were in a little girls school and I made my first handout. I thought, this is this, everybody's got to know this. And I said to my family, with the help of my therapist, I'm not going to buy you these foods, but I'll give you all of these foods that you want. So these were unprocessed foods and these were processed foods. And uh, they sat down, we all sat down together. They circled all the foods they like from the unprocessed, unprocessed list. And we got all the uh, unprocessed foods out of the house. Those two little girls lost weight. My husband at the time lost weight. We stopped fighting. I know my uh, husband was uh, interviewed by PBS about all this. And uh, that was the first thing he brought up. The, The girls stopped fighting with each other. We stopped fighting with them. And we stopped fighting with each other. So I adopted this as a career. I I just, I didn't understand what it meant to have an addiction. So I just thought, oh, I'm going to go around to the other moms at school. I mean, my girls, they lost the weight. Their grades came up. They were able to focus on their homework. Uh, they became very popular because they had this really even, tearful disposition. They got elected to all the offices in their little high school. And I just thought, this is not fair. And the other moms need to know that uh, their their children can also 
pop out of brain fog and be able to focus. Nobody did it. I gave them all the handout. Nobody did it. Today, fast forward 25, I mean, in those years, I've written a popular book and I've done a PhD program in addictive nutrition. I've written a textbook for the field and I tried a prepared meal company. And now, of course, as you know, I run online services for training. Uh, anybody can be a health, sorry, a food addiction recovery manager in our organization. And we're all online and we are all over the world. So I, in, in the 25 years, 22 years until we got on Zoom, I tried 14 different ways to get people to stop eating processed foods. But it wasn't until I wrote the textbook that I understood what it means to have a severe a very deeply embedded, a deeply rooted addiction. And then I could see why none of those 14 things would ever have worked and why no weight loss works and why no diabetes recovery works. It is because uh, people are fighting a hidden, very deeply rooted addiction. The brain is working in a very specific way to control behavior to get those addictive substances. Yeah, so now it's fun. <laughs> you know, now we have a, a, a reliable method, and it works. And now it's just fun. You know, people are popping out of uh, diseases that they've been told are not curable. It just it happens every day, all day long. And when you get the processed foods out, and then you get into a really kind, compassionate, caring community, and the stress goes out of your body. It's just really fun. Yeah, that's there's so many things uh, that our audience would love to hear about. Maybe we could start off. Could you speak a little bit about addiction, just the basics? What is addiction? And then then we'll sort of apply that looking at processed foods. But okay, maybe good. just an intro to addiction. Super, super good idea. So, what is an addiction? An addiction happens when the reward centers in the brain are taught, they're taught through repeat exposure to a substance that artificially causes those brain cells to release a lot of addictive neurotransmitter, which we experience as cravings. So you, you ingest, you, you either smoke a cigarette or you take a drink or you shoot heroin or you know, smoke marijuana, meth, cocaine, you, you ingest the substance and that artificially stimulates a reward brain cell to flood the brain with this pleasurable neurotransmitter. Dopamine, opiate, serotonin, cannabinoid. Your brain has pleasurable pathways in it. You know, whoever made our brains made them to, to create pleasure for us. So uh, you, you ingest a substance or you somehow consume a substance that artificially stimulates those brain cells to release a flood. And you're like, wow, I like this. Woo! And you want to do it again. 
Well, what happens, the way the brain works is when you do that substance, your brain imprints everything around you in that moment. And everything around you, the people, the place, the time of day, the time of year, become what are called associative cues, associative triggers. And so, um, you know, you and I sit down in in a coffee shop and we have a really big, ooey, gooey, middle of the afternoon tea treat. My brain will then associate you with that, with that piece of pie or piece of cake or ice cream or any of the other highly addictive foods. So when I see you again, I really look forward to seeing you because you're going to give me a dopamine rush by association. Because my Uh brain, oh, yeah, I know that guy. Remember what we ate with him? Oh, it was so fun. So what happens over time when you do that is you get this big rush and then you get a crash because the brain cell is depleted. It releases all that dopamine and then it's then it's depleted. It's tired. It can't do anymore. And you feel bad because you, you feel terrible because you don't have any dopamine in your head. But you remember, oh, but if I just ate that thing or if I just smoked that thing or if I just, you know, took that or snorted that or injected that, I remember that makes me feel better. Boom, you're in an addiction. So what happens over time is that all the blood flow starts going to the addicted brain cells in the in the reward centers in the brain. And phase two is your frontal lobe starts to be deprived of blood flow. So frontal lobe is the ability to pay attention, the ability to learn, the ability to make decisions, the ability to remember and the ability to control impulses. That's all in the new brain, this little tiny 2% of the brain, which is you know, where we get to do all these cool things that animals can't do. The rest of the brain is working pretty much the way it was working 3 million years ago when we got the midbrain. And once you really get that, then, then you know exactly what to do to recover from an addiction. So that's all it is. It's not your childhood issues. It's not laziness. It's not lack of willpower. It's not, you know, moral bankruptcy. (laughs) It's none of those things. Somebody, some drug dealer has taught these reward cells to be erupting all the time in response to these associated triggers, stimulation, reminders, signals, and the blood flow is leaving your frontal lobe where you know not to do these things. It doesn't make any difference how much you know. It doesn't make any difference. I mean, I have a PhD and I can still think that uh, a really toxic substance is a, a good idea. It would be fun today. Why? Because all of my PhD knowledge is in my frontal lobe. And if I get around enough cueing, enough triggering, then the blood flow will go right back to those addictive brain cells and I'll forget. I won't be able to remember uh, why I don't eat that stuff, why it hurts so much. I'm like, oh, well, just this once. So do you think that helps? 
Yeah, yeah. So it's it's really the the substance or the experience and the environment that uh, that creates the addiction and then and then triggers it again and again. So uh, we have to avoid avoid addictive <laughs> avoid addictive substances or situations to begin with as much as yeah. we can. Yeah. Um, and and then uh, and then. Uh, or situations as well. And we'll talk about uh, treating addiction a little bit later, perhaps, but um, I want to look at specifically some of the food things that, that you've talked about before. And maybe, maybe we could go back to the, the fascinating story about how some of the, the world's experts on addiction, in other words, big tobacco, uh, <laughs> sort of changed their business strategy a, a few years ago that is impacting all of us today, even our children. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is, I hope that everyone who's listening to this in the next five minutes will feel a tremendous burden of guilt and shame lift from their shoulders. So I, I do, I have this MBA from Stanford. Yes, it's 47 years old, but I'm very, very interested in business models. I grew up, my dad was a biochemist executive with a consumer goods corporation. And so I've always lived in a corporate household. I married a business school classmate. Both my daughters have MBAs and um, yeah, we're very interested in business models. So everybody, I think, knows the story of big tobacco. They finally were brought to brought under control in the in the courts. They were finally were uh, convicted of false advertising with the low tar cigarettes. And for many many years, I thought, oh, they just needed a new business, so they just slid they slithered over to processed foods. We had plenty of evidence, even starting in the 1960s, that sugar is highly addictive. And the, the first foray, you see a tobacco company buying Hawaiian punch and starting to addict small children to sugar. So, yes, the tobacco companies started losing in courts, lots of billions of dollars. And they needed a new market. So, sure, 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 they did. They, they slithered over to processed foods. And in the mid-1980s, they bought Kraft, Nabisco, and General Foods in three years. Bing, bing, bing. Bing, bing, bing. Suddenly, tobacco controlled over 10% of every food purchase in the United States. Three years. Wow. But when I went back and looked at it more closely, I saw two other things happening in that period. One, high fructose corn syrup came on the market and they had a cheap sweetener. So before that, they were relying on another group of drug dealers, the sugar cartel in Florida. And they would have, uh, the, their addiction business model wouldn't have worked because the substances have to be cheap. The other thing that happened in the mid 1980s is um, a Harvard nutrition researcher who was writing research reports in collaboration with the sugar industry about heart disease. Um, he got himself in charge of the dietary guidelines. 
So this is so, so in this incredibly abrupt change, you go from the federal government just hitting the ground, prosecuting these tobacco industries, and, and you just, you do this like unbelievable surreal flip to there's the federal government promoting these violently promoting these highly addictive refined carbohydrates. So when you look at the bottom row of the first pyramid, it's all sugar and flour and potatoes. So those, those tobacco executives must have like, can't believe my eyes. And they all ran over and bought the, the big players in processed food production. And what did they do? They immediately applied the addiction business practices that they had developed in tobacco to processed foods. And it's very specific. It's a highly defined business model. And I call it the, the five A's. And I have published on this. It is, first of all, you hide addictive substances in the products. So we all know now with horror that they extracted and concentrated nicotine and put it into cigarettes to make them more addictive. When they got a hold of processed foods, they hired this guy, Howie Moskowitz, who had a PhD from Harvard in experimental psychology marketing. And he developed a method to put as much sugar, fat, salt into products, every processed food product uh, to the maximum, to the point where the consumer wouldn't like it anymore. So products that never had sugar in them suddenly had sugar in them, like uh, pasta sauce. It's, 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 it's just really hard to imagine that there could be a person like that, especially when you see how deeply addictive, how much those substances alter brain function. But anyway, Howie Moskowitz did it. He's now worth $45 million from corporation consulting fees. It's just, it's unimaginable. So, okay, so addictive product formulation is the first A. The next one is advertising because of what we just talked about with the associative cueing. Now your brain has had, had some sugar or a flour or gluten or excessive salt or dairy or processed fats or some kind of sweetener, caffeine, food additives. And now it associates that with, well, I ate it at school. So now school's a trigger. I ate it in the kitchen. Now the kitchen's a trigger. I ate it in every room of my house. My whole house is now a massive trigger. I ate it in my car. My car is now a trigger. And people are just walking around with their brains flooded with um, cravings, these craving neurotransmitters. Okay, so advertising, you know, they, they ramped up the number of Saturday morning commercials to children from about 150 already in 1985. Within seven years, it was 550. And Nickelodeon took those highly, this is Pavlovian conditioning of children's reward centers. They carried those commercials to 65 million American households. And within 10 years, the obesity rate among children had increased by 50%. 
from 10% to 15%. And then you started to see these epidemics of fatty liver and asthma and high blood pressure and diabetes in children. Duh. So advertising and then availability, you know, as they were forced to take out the cigarette vending machines, they just placed, replaced them with snack and soda machines. And you saw gas stations change to uh, precious food outlets. And you saw the big box grocery stores. Big volumes of food are very triggering. It, it's just the, the landscape changed, the, the blanketed with these fast food outlets and shopping malls. They're just saturated with the smell of these uh, you know, highly toxic but very addictive foods. Okay, so availability, young age of onset, you know, they went for the smallest children, the toddlers. They had tried to get to 10-year-old boys with cigarettes. The Joe Cool cartoon was aimed at 10-year-old boys. They were stopped from doing that, but nobody's ever stopped them from marketing sugar to very, very small children. And then um, affordability. So that's why the introduction of high fructose corn syrup was so crucial to the whole business model. I really feel like that that burst the dam. Once they saw they had a very, very cheap sweetener and they didn't care. And so high fructose corn syrup converts to fat two and a half times more effectively than sugar. So like the head of Coca-Cola, um, Roberto Gautiz, I think is how you pronounce his name. He gets this information. They do the research inside Coke. And they see that high fructose corn syrup converts to fat two and a half times more readily than sugar. What does he do? He takes the sugar out of Cokes. He replaces it with high fructose corn syrup and doubles his advertising budget. And within a couple of years, the, the soda drinking belt, which is called the Bible belt, becomes the obesity belt. Uh, like, no kidding. Not mysterious at all. People in that part of the world, this is the south of the United States, kind of stretching from Texas probably to, the, to Virginia. Um, they, they, it's not uncommon for people to drink up to four like full sugar or cokes a day. And, and just, for, just for reference, uh, the American Heart Association recommends a maximum dose of sugar for 18-year-olds and under, which is less than one Coke a day, is a maximum safe dose of sugar. So four time, four Cokes a day is, uh, is huge. And really, there is no safe dose of sugar. Like, there's no safe dose of cigarettes. Yeah. So you see, yeah. oh, it's just it's the same business model. You know, tobacco yeah. finally did get kicked off the board of the American Lung Association for <laughs> finally. a while. And now all those people, they you know it just it just it's the same business model. Compromise the the nonprofit. It, it just same business model. Some of our listeners, our audience is probably wondering, um, 
the difference between addiction, they say, well, I, I get it, you know, sugar's bad for me. Um, I'm addicted to it. How about other things that bring me pleasure? Is it that it like, if someone likes listening to classical music and they sit down and listen to classical music, that brings them pleasure. It may even you know, rewire parts of their brain. Is there something about addiction related to harm or, or how do we parse that out? Good question. It has to, for in order for something to be called an addiction, it has to cause harm. Hmm. So I may be just like, hanging on for dear life until I can get home, sit on the sofa, turn on the classical music and close my eyes. That's not an addiction. But if I am just hanging on until I can get home and eat that German chocolate cake that I hid in the laundry room, that's an addiction. And it it seems like if, if this this uh, issue we're dealing with, with processed foods leading to obesity and all as an addiction, we need to approach it differently than many of the methods people are using today for weight control and obesity control. And it seems like no wonder they're all failing. Um, What do they need to do differently to treat an addiction versus just eat less, exercise more, those, those kinds of things. So there are three, three phases of skill development needed to beat this addiction. And the first one is acceptance. Once you get acceptance, then you, the door opens to doing the right kind of program. And there are three things to be to to be to go through that process of acceptance and it's and it's an educational process and people can write to us and get videos and stuff if they like one is accepting that it's an addiction it's it's not everything that you've been told it's none of those things it's not your childhood issues it's not an eating disorder it's just like eating disorder are you kidding me It's like, so is smoking a breathing disorder? No. Is cocaine addiction a snorting disorder? No, no, it's not. It's it's an addiction. It has substances. So one, accepting that it's an addiction. And then two, accepting that it's a severe addiction. So a severe addiction is an addiction in which a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of the brain, a big part of the brain is has been trained to behave in an addictive pattern. And then the third thing to accept is that it's going to be immersion recovery for a long time to repair, to not repair, just re, rewire, restore um, the, the brain to, to stop behaving in that way and start behaving in a new way. So that's phase one. Phase one is all acceptance. And we do a lot of educating to move people from, "Ah, I just need to lose 50 pounds, way over here to, oh, I need to retrain, you know, uh, 
8 billion <laughs> brain cells. Because the food industry also dominates the uh, the weight loss industry. Yeah. Oh, so those, those tobacco-style food processors are making the Atkins products. They're making the South Beach products. They own Weight Watchers. And they just, they've just extended the addiction business model into uh, the whole weight loss thinking. Restricted calories actually leads to waking up the food-seeking brain. And now on top of having an addicted brain, now you have a hyperactive food-seeking brain which is the only part of the brain that's more powerful than the than conformance drive. Okay, so phase one. Phase two is skill acquisition. So when you get an addiction, your personality stops developing and the addiction takes over. So if you have been fed 50% sugar or baby formula, you never got a chance to develop life skills. So for example, relationship skills, relationship management skills. You know, if you're an addicted child, you don't need that. Anything upset, upsetting happens with another person. You don't have to settle that or figure out how to behave differently or work with that person to, you don't have to do any of that. I just go get something to eat. Mm-hmm. And uh, the self-care, like you tired? No, you go to bed, take a nap. No, just go get something to eat. So emotion regulation, nope, don't need that. Just go get something to eat, something numbing. So we don't develop these basic life skills. So all of phase two is um, developing basic life skills so that if somebody says something mean to you, you don't eat over it anymore. Or if you get tired, you go lie down instead of going to get something to eat. Or you... um, you know, you have an upset, you work it through. You come into a community and you talk about it and you calm down instead of going to get something to eat, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a long list of, I mean, they're just associated cues, but they're a long list of circumstances under which the addicted brain cells will create that flood of cravings and you're just like a robot, a zombie, you're going to get it. The addicted part of the brain takes over and your frontal lobe might be screaming, no, 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 don't do that. No, we don't want to do that. But it loses the competition with these deeply addicted 98% of the brain that's either activated into food seeking from not having enough food from dieting and fasting or activated into the addiction. This little tiny new brain, this little adorable new brain, this little 2% of your brain, does not have a chance against the addicted brain or the food-seeking brain. What this frontal lobe can do, however, is control the messaging that controls the rest of the brain. And then that that whole cue management, the whole cue load management, we teach that. We teach that. We teach that. We teach that every second of every day. And we're the only ones who are doing that. And it's the key. And once you control the messaging, then if you can stop the messaging from reaching your brain and replace it. So that's what we're doing in our 15 hours a day of live programming. We're replacing that stressful, addicted, negative, 
self, self-loathing, self-hatred talk inside the brain um, with kindness. And that, that keeps those addicted cells from erupting and controlling behavior. And we're doing that through conformance drive. Before we, I, and I want to get into your particular program uh, because it is so effective. Uh, before we do that, there was one other point that I've heard you speak about um, the challenges of, of treating addictions and how some programs um, use the technique, whether it's addiction to alcohol or addiction to drugs, where instead of getting rid of the addiction, they substitute things and they often substitute sugar addiction for that. I thought that was an interesting, uh, an interesting process. Could you speak to that a little bit? Yes. Yes. So that's another part of this phase two of skill acquisition is you're learning to live in a healthy body. So every other, it just occurred to me in the last couple of months, Every other addiction recovery program out there is not actually helping their members recover from addiction. They are transferring their members to substances that appear to be less harmful, i.e. processed foods. So if you go to an AA meeting, so there, you know, there's cookies just stacked up everywhere and the coffee machine is on and people used to smoke in there. Uh, we're the only uh, recovery community that is actually um, creating a structure where those brain cells can stop craving. Yeah, maybe talk a little bit about your program. And it is available, uh, to be clear, it's available all online. internationally online. So anyone can uh, access all, this anywhere. Anywhere yeah. you can have an internet connection now, you can get top quality, appropriate, good match, effective treatment. Yeah. Now. Yeah. And what's the what's the approach there? What would uh what would guests experience in that program? Okay. So do you mind if I just do the third phase before Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I beg your pardon. I, I interrupted. Yeah, cuz this yeah. is really fun. The yeah. people come into our program all the time in their when uh, now we're really trying to get people in their 20s before they, they to suffer so incredibly for their whole lives. But people come into our program in their 50s, 60s, 70s. We've had people in their 80s come in and they are just devastated. I have, I've wasted 50 years of my life. We're like, no, you haven't. You've been in training so that you can come in here and now you know how to help the next person. You couldn't help that next person without those 50. Anyway, we make it fun. So the point is, is that we now get to lead an extraordinary life because we have something to contrast it with. This is a fully fulfilled, purposeful, enjoyable life. This is Maslow's work. And there are 10 things that define, according to these researchers, a fully fulfilled life. And it's things like moments of expansion where you just have this brand new awareness. It's constant gratitude. It's knowing right from wrong and, and being able to act on it. It's having a humanitarian approach to the world. 
it, it's it's a list of 10 things. And we and we have a video on this if anybody wants a video. And that's the reward. We can link that's to it the in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. For that. That's the reward. So I feel like I have a life that is so full. It's so fun. I'm so happy every day. I process emotions readily and I would not have been able to have this incredibly high quality of life if I hadn't suffered so deeply for those first 44 years. So that's phase three where you get the skill acquisition is how to have an extraordinary life. And we and it's a very level playing field. Everybody on the planet only has one thing that makes any difference, and that's today. And we we now, because of how much we've suffered, we now can gain a skill set in having this really extraordinary, fulfilling life. Okay, so that's the end of that. Yeah, before we before we talk about the program, I, a question just came up. Uh, if that's okay, sure. Yeah, just thinking about everything you've said that um, processed foods are are harmful. We I think we would all recognize the dangers there, and we recognize the fact that most people today consume processed foods at least as some part of their diet most people do 67 percent of americans 60 yeah. percent of the calories consumed by americans are processed and and from uh, the 2015 study 87 percent of americans were metabolically unhealthy as yeah. evidenced by fat or different things just connect the dots 25% of uh, people worldwide, adults have fatty liver disease. And these are all tied to food choices, which are tied to processed foods. So it seems like at least at some level, there's a lot of damage being done. And presumably, there's a lot of addiction in, in many, if not most of these people with processed foods. So the question becomes, how how can we deal with this at scale? I mean, a, a pro, an intensive program is is wonderful and it's very successful, but it requires a lot of it's intensive. How how can we ever hope to reach all these people with something that is scalable? Or what are your what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, uh, this is this has kept me awake for twenty five years. It's a really good question. Um, I think we have an answer. I think we do. So uh, I'm going to combine these two uh, questions. What is our program and how do my mantra, my affirmation, we work a lot with affirmations. Our 90% of our brain is so vulnerable to suggestion that I now know that if I tell my brain something is true, for 98% of my brain, it's still out in the jungle 3 million years ago where you'd never see anything that's not true. 98% of the brain does not know how to evaluate whether something's true or not. It's only this little tiny, adorable, fun, 
2% of the brain can evaluate that. That's not true. The other 98% of the brain is, oh, we see it. It's true. We need to file that and act on it, which is, of course, the devastation of screens. Okay. So the, the fix is to change the messaging. Once you know that 98% of your brain is going to just pull something in and act on it, as I just think of that 98% of the brain is a massive filing system. And which drawer gets opened, in other words, which blueprint are we going to follow today, is determined by cues, by triggers, by messaging in the environment. The brain, 98% of the brain looks at that and says, oh, I know what that is. I know that person. And I know what we did with them last time. So I'm going to open that drawer. And that's the drawer. Of, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We went, we had coffee and uh, a pile of mode. So I'm going to put that messaging into my human. And, and then you get that thought, that incredible desire. Oh, hello there. It's so good to see you. Let's go get some coffee and pie all the mode. That is how 98% of the brain is working. And the, the food industry exploits that mercilessly. That is why they will pay a million dollars for one commercial, one 60-minute commercial in the Super Bowl. Because they are going to put information into the filing systems of however many millions of people watch that program. Sure, yeah. So Things once you know that, yeah. then you know exactly what to do. You know exactly what to do, which is protect like heck. With everything you've got, protect the messaging that reaches that 98% of the brain. And that's what our program does. So all of our messaging is um, self-kindness, self-compassion, a lot of science and understanding of what had happened to you, a release from self-blame, release from self-stigmatization, release from self-hatred. Why? How do you get that stuff to stop? Well, you just immerse yourself in messaging of, I am wonderful. I'm actually quite spectacular. I must be doing a lot of things great because I'm still standing and a million Americans die from this every two years. I'm still here. I am determined. I am uh, willing and able to, to do whatever it takes to, to refill those filing cabinets. You don't refill them actually, but you can push the old stuff to the back of the filing cabinet so that the new stuff is in the front. And when that drawer gets opened, it's like, okay, I am really good at relationship management. I set boundaries easily. I, um, I stand up when I need to stand up. I am kind in all circumstances. I am well-trained in how to enhance other people and create uh, bountiful relationships. Uh, so that's the messaging. When you see that person that you used to go get uh, something addictive and horrible and destructive with, you see that person is like, wow, I remember this person. Uh, let's go for a walk. You're retraining the brain to go to a new thought, that, that filing cabinet. Oh, I see that person, their filing cabinet rolls open. Oh, I could go for a walk with them. It's such a nice day. Let's do that. 
because you've just been around people who are going for walks. Some of the things we do in our programming is we just go for a walk. So you are much more likely to go for a walk if all your friends are going for a walk. But if you're on our screens and you're around these really lovely, lovely people um, and they're all going for a walk, your your conformance drive, instead of helplessly going to the kitchen and eating something that you're going to hate yourself for, you helplessly go and get get your tennis shoes on and walk out the front door because everybody's going for a walk. Doesn't matter if they're in New Zealand or Germany or the UK or Nebraska or New York. Every, oh, everybody's going for a walk. Okay, well, we'll go with you. And it's easy and it's fun because you're engaging conformist drive. The second most powerful system in the brain is called mirror neurons. And mirror neurons are the this is the second most powerful survival mechanism in the brain. So for 7 million years of human evolution, the anthropologists have found that people who survived and passed on their genes were in these small groups, 7 to 12 people. And these small groups would gather in their nations maybe twice a year and be 125 people. And if you were in that group, you lived, your children lived, your genes got passed on. And how did you get into that group? You did what they were doing. They were going to look for food. You looked for food with them. They were looking for shelter or running for shelter. You ran for shelter with them. They heard the predator coming and got out their clubs and stones. Well, you got out your club and stones too. You know, they circled your children. You circled your children too. Conformance was survival. Conformance equaled survival. So if you were the human who liked to wander off on yourself while the, you know, the wild animals were waiting to have you for lunch, you wouldn't survive. So what the food industry has done is they have hijacked, they've kidnapped, they've stolen our conformance drive. But that's why you see advertisements on TV of people sitting on sofa watching TV. And once you see one of those ads of conformance drivers, oh, my God, they're eating that. They're us. They're sitting on a sofa just like we are. So we better go eat that. That's conformance drive, and it's vicious. So that's exactly what we have returned to control of our members, their conformance drive. And we do a lot of... um, We never, ever tell our members what to do. We respect them too much. We will have a conversation with them in which they tell us what they think they should do. And then we affirm them. Yes, that's that's an incredibly great idea. In fact, I think I'll do that too. And we're teaching them, even if they say, I don't know what to do. I say, well, I can give you three ideas if you like. So I'll rattle off three ideas. And then I always end with, Don't do anything. Just think about this for days, weeks, years, whatever it takes until that voice of wisdom in your head comes on and says, let's try that. Let's try that one. So we're trying. We're not trying. We are succeeding. We are deliberately focused on moving the source of decision making away from the corporation's back inside the person 
re-establishing, sometimes you're not re-establishing, you're establishing for the first time, trust in their in the, this part of the brain, their decision-making part of the brain. So the addiction takes away choice. I'm going to ask you to think carefully about using that word food choice. Nobody's making a food choice. Nobody is making a food choice. Nobody is doing this to themselves. It's They're not. The addiction is controlling their behavior. And the addiction doesn't allow choice. It pulls the brain's the blood supply away from the choice center. The choice brain cells are just like, ah, they're starving. And the addiction, the addicted brain cells are like, yeah, we are running this show. So don't do that because it makes people feel guilty and it's inappropriate. Okay. Are there, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. So that's go what ahead. we do. 15 hours a day. And it starts in our first kind of program of the day starts in the UK. It's um, three o'clock in the morning on the East coast of the U S but even Americans who have insomnia can get up and listen to kindness and reassurance and wisdom and then their day ends in, it goes from the UK and Europe across the Americas. And it ends with our Pacific team uh, in Australia. And then we only have a gap of, I think, four to six hours now in the middle of the night in the US before the UK uh, and Europe and, and Africa pick it up again. So yeah, and then we have we have a big library of videos. If somebody really needs twenty four hours a day, they can get they can just hop over to the video library and play videos between the live stuff. And the shocking thing is, is that it typically it only takes a couple of days. People who have not been able to have a clean day of eating in in decades, literally 20, 30 years. Within a couple of days of being in their new tribe, conformance tribe never rests. Uh, there they are eating clean. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then do they stay on your program? Uh, is, is it a long-term program where they may stay engaged in the community or what's, what's the life life path of the experience for them? It's, as soon as you leave the ark, you're back under the influence of the uh, mainstream culture. So what I we've ha we've had the ark. The ark is the addiction reset community. We've had it for three and a half years, and what we are seeing, which gives me great great hope, is that suppose I'm the person in the household who's in the ark, but guess what? You know, I'm walking around with my laptop or my phone playing this material everybody else in the household has mirror neurons too and they start to uh you know their filing cabinets start to get filled up with art material and uh, it's not uh it's not long i mean in the space of everything a year or two is not a long period of time with no fighting you know, no controlling, no disputes. Everybody in the household is eating this way. 
So I'll give you an example. This is really funny. Um, one of our members was doing that, just whatever she was doing in the household. She had either her smartphone or her laptop going or a tablet. And she, she can play this all day long. It's fascinating. And these are your friends. It's just like having neighbors over. And wonder what your husband. Her husband says to her, oh, I'm so glad she's she's better. And I remember like, what are you talking about? So, you know, that lady, that lady on your program, she got home from the hospital and she's okay now. I'm just so glad. It's like, wow. So you don't have to. You don't have to do anything other than just walk around your house playing the playing the art material. And and it's fascinating and it's really fun. And it's not programming that you hear anywhere else. You don't hear people um, coming in and reporting their their victories, victories. You know, this bank teller was being so stupid, but I was able to remain kind and compassionate through the whole thing. Nobody, TV is not reporting that kind of triumph, um, but you do get those tri- those kinds of triumphs. You know, my mother-in-law brought this stupid, disgusting dessert to my house. And I was able to just say thank you and wait until she left and then put it down the disposal. <laughs> That's a victory. Calm yeah. in all circumstances. So she didn't let the mother-in-law trigger her into a lapse and trigger her into to hurting herself. Yeah. It's fascinating. And it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the programming is fascinating. Well, I wonder if we if we agree that uh, processed foods have very, very addictive components oh, to them that cause a lot of a lot of damage and suffering in in many of our lives. I'm wondering if do you think there are specific components within processed foods? I mean, we've, we've heard Howard Moskowitz fat, sat, uh, salt, fat, and sugar analysis, but are there specific components that should be identified and uh, legislated against? I mean, cocaine is not legal, you know, nicotine is regulated in, you know, in children. I mean, should children be eating this stuff and, um, is it possible to identify certain components or is it more the, the whole experience of the behavior that ties into it too? If you see what I'm getting at. Yeah, it's, it is the processing itself that creates the problem. Plants have natural endorphins. I mean, whoever created us said, oh, I won't make them eat just to survive because that's not very pleasant. I'll put endorphins in the plants and then it'll be pleasant and it'll help them want to eat. So it and naturally distributed endorphin in a plant is fine. It's when you concentrate it. So a poppy is not going to hurt anybody, but when you concentrate the opiate in the poppy, then it becomes uh there becomes enough of the addictive substance to create that eruption in the reward centers in the brain and plants, all plants are that way. So when you powder them, when you take out the fiber, when you turn them into a liquid or a syrup, when you heat them to high temperatures, 
um, when you uh, concentrate them, like cheese is concentrated dairy. Dairy has four different natural casomorphines in it so that that baby cow will go to sleep. Dairy is a narcotic. <laughs> when you concentrate it into cheese, it becomes like the perfect storm of addiction because it also has fat and sugar and salt concentrated in it. So I love what Marion Nestle is. Marion Nestle was, she's the author of Food Politics and she was the chair of the New York University Nutrition Department for a long time. She says, if it has a label, it's a warning label. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, there is no such thing. If it's in a package, unless it's like a bottle of uh, virgin olive oil or a bag of dried beans, um, don't buy it. Don't get into those aisles in the grocery store. You know, just spend all your time in the produce department, go across the back and get animal proteins. If you use animal proteins, if you don't, go down the plant protein aisle, get your olive oil, get your spices, get your dried beans and get out because uh, the grocery store is engineered to make you crazy. The grocery store is deliberately engineered by these addiction scientists to uh, to activate the reward centers and flood your brain while you're in there with craving brain chemicals. So uh, my max in a grocery store is 20 minutes. And how do I know it's time to get out? It's because uh, my brain will like, oh, well, maybe I could have that. Maybe I could have that. It says, now I've trained my brain is that when the maybe I could have that uh, voice comes on, it's the, there's there's another voice that comes on and says, get out, get out, go to the checkout right now. Okay. Out. <laughs> so, yeah. When we were talking earlier, I love uh, offline. I love that you were you were frank enough to describe yourself as a uh, a uh uh, processed food addict in recovery. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could take a moment and tell us what, uh, how, how you live your life now, and not what choice food choices you make because we don't make choices. But what do you, what do you eat these days, and what other yeah. things do you do in your life like that? So, um, the the food in recovery is absolutely beautiful. Uh, I do eat animal proteins, but we also were at a point where a lot of people do not. So I should method. You know, Monday is beef day and Tuesday is pork day and Wednesday is lamb day. And we have we, the chicken, turkey, fish, shellfish, and then uh, repeat something. So that I've learned is that I don't do well on beef and I don't do well on pork. And I don't really do well on lamb. I do go okay on chicken, turkey, fish, shellfish, and the plant proteins. So how did I learn that is because I just put myself through a couple of months of 
eating a particular protein on Monday and a different one on Tuesday. And I, I started to realize, you know what, Monday, I don't feel too good. I feel depressed. And um, on Tuesdays, I feel really anxious. So I'm not going to eat beef and I'm not going to eat pork anymore. Um, and on my shrimp day, I break out. So I'm not going to eat shrimp anymore either. And you can do that with vegetables and you can do that. We, we only eat low sugar fruits. And then you can do that with uh, starches. Like a lot of people are trying to go carb free that don't need to. You can eat a winter squash or green peas without getting the cravings and loss of control. Fats are another thing to rotate. So um, I, I eat a food plan that nobody else on the planet would eat. I don't eat the nightshades. I got asthma during a child during childhood from living in this very stressful processed food uh, home. So um, I also don't eat citrus and I don't eat nightshade. It just so happens that the whole gourd family uh, will give me a, an asthma attack. So it's it's highly individualistic. N my opinion. And I could get really uh, attacked for this, but I can defend it. Is that nobody can tell you what to eat? Yes, I can give you a list of the excluded foods, and I can give you the science. I have a whole chapter in the textbook, all the science, 250 citations as to what these drugs being marketed as food do to us. So I can give you that list, I can give you that chapter, I can give you all the evidence, but I can't tell you when it's time to give one of those up. That has to come from your own voice of wisdom. You know, I'm ready to try giving up uh, something. It has to be totally under control of the individual. Because if you tell somebody to do something, their first instinct is going to be to rebel against it. It's like, don't do that, don't tell people what to do. If they want some ideas, usually they know already what they want to do. Give them all the encouragement to identify the strengths they have to do to make that change in their life. And then um, remind them to go slowly. The slower you go, the further you get. Slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. So, um, so we teach that food rotation method and we're listening as people are discovering what works for them and then reinforcing that. The plant proteins are beans, including lentils and green peas and um, amaranth and quinoa and buckwheat. So there are four plant protein families. And if you do them on a four day rotation, the other thing is you're giving your body a rest from each one for four days so that you don't develop a new allergy from repeat use. Like I gave myself an allergy to eggs because I just like, oh, I, I love eggs. I'm gonna eat eggs all the time. And sure enough, 20 years later, <laughs> rotating also gives your body a rest from each food group for four days so that you don't get you don't develop an allergy like i did do you use um fasting at all in your oh, no. in your diet plan <clears throat> 
So this is the other thing. This is why this addiction is so devastating and why people blame themselves so viciously is that the, so I said, you heard me say conformance drive is the second most powerful system in the brain. Food seeking is the first. And why? Because there are, there's a very specific circumstance under which conformance drive is not the right survival technique. And that is when there's a famine. When there's a famine, if you find food, you don't want the rest of your tribe to be with you. You're going to eat all that food as fast as you possibly can and then go and run and hide because the predators, they know you're there and they're getting closer and closer to finding you as you rapidly eat this food as fast as you can so that you can get out of there. And also so that no other tribe member finds you uh, eating all this food and not sharing it. So when does the food-seeking brain, this is the reptilian brain, this is the 7 million-year-old part of the brain, what activates it? When does that part of the brain get control of your behavior? When you haven't had enough to eat. And that's dieting. That's restricted calorie dieting and fasting. So on top of having the addiction, now you have, so the American Psychiatric Association has, has identified this as binging. It's a binge eating disorder. It's not. It's, it's an awoken food-seeking disorder. So um, fasting is very, very dangerous for somebody with a history of, of addiction. Why? because fasting artificially releases dopamine. Whoever made us had just is incredibly compassionate because basically if you're going to starve to death, your brain will release dopamine so it doesn't hurt quite so bad. And that is the last thing you want a person with a history of addiction to be experiencing any kind of intense or abnormal release of any of those craving neurotransmitters. Mm-mm, no way. It's why, why being in community is so safe and valuable. Because when you come into community, you actually get a release of oxytocin. And so that will that modulates these uh, reward pathways. It's one of the 84 incredibly good reasons I, I, I'm just making that. It's not 84. It's about 20 um, reasons to that you have to. I know I never say have to, but I'm saying have to. You have to do this in community. And we know that Zoom works great to deliver that uh, experience of community. It works great. Yeah, community is so powerful there. Well, how speaking of community, how can people find out more about your program or reach out to you or follow you on, on social media, Joan? Okay, so our website is processedfoodaddiction.com. Our Facebook group is Food Addiction Education. And um, I forget... <laughs> <laughs> You'll just have to search for us on 
Twitter and Instagram because I have really, really good people who help me out with that. So I don't, I'm not too familiar with that. We'll, we'll include it in the show notes, uh, those as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so processed food addiction has all of our services, but if you just like, dang, I got to get into this community and I got to do this today, just go straight to foodaddictionreset.com. There's a self quiz on there. Uh, you can join the ARC, the Addiction Reset community right there. There's a button right on the main screen. Just click uh, join the ARC and you'll be taken right into it. Yeah. Well, the this has been so great having you with us today, Joan. It certainly opened my eyes about food addiction and all the things that are that are going on. And I, I can't wait to learn more about it by accessing thank you. your materials and, and your program as well. But it's been great thank and, and thank you so much. No, this is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking of it because of something you have seen here. If you find this to be of value of you, please hit that like button and subscribe to support the work we do on this channel. Also, we take your suggestions and advice very seriously. Please let us know what you'd like to see on this channel. Thanks for watching and we'll hope to see you next time!